Okay, welcome to season two, episode 12, Spiritual Psychotherapy. Uh, so I'd like to begin with some really beautiful uh, words from Dilgo Kiense Rinpoche. So this man is uh, from the 20th century, a brilliant, brilliant Buddhist master, scholar, poet, teacher. He was actually the teacher of the Dalai Lama. And, um, you know, I've been listening to Sam Harris's app, the wisdom texts section, and it's read by Jayasara, all these um, these beautiful wisdom texts with some instrumental music. So I thought to myself, let me play some beautiful, uh, you know, Tibetan healing Zen music in the background while I read this. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't have to be uh, necessarily a guided meditation, but it can you can treat it that way um, and let the words penetrate you see what it what it feels like, almost like if it's a, a finger pointing at the moon, like we like to say, um, if it's something that that has value for you in terms of just creating some type of inner experience for you. So let's let's dig right in. Uh, if you conquer the primordial nature by distinguishing mind from awareness, uh, the view of the absolute will gradually become clear. Even if inwardly awareness is not yet clear right now, simply keep the mind from wandering outside. This will do, for awareness lies in the very depth of the mind. They are, it is said, like water and ice. Water and ice are not entirely the same, for the latter is solid and can be held, but molten ice is none other than water. So in truth, water and ice are not two things, but one. Likewise, the mind is not awareness being diluted, but mind's nature, when realized, is none other than awareness. Although mind and awareness are different in sense, they cannot be distinguished by analytic reasoning. One day, as your confidence in awareness grows, Mind will appear as witless as a child, and awareness as wise as a venerable old sage. Awareness will not run after mind, but eclipse it, in a relaxed, serene state, rest at ease. So, you know, I, I was listening to this uh, this morning, you know, I'll pause this music for now, um, but I was listening to... Uh, this stuff this morning and you know as it's snowing you know more and it was it was quite the experience to hear about this idea of water and ice um, and awareness lying in the very depth of the mind and we think of the you know the mind and awareness as you know in a dualistic sense as two separate things uh, but when mind reveals its true nature it reveals itself to be none other than awareness like like he's saying here um well but hold on let's uh, i'm a little this is hard to pay attention to first of all like, <laughs> but uh i i don't i mean awareness and the and the mind is is really more of a uh the mind is like a thing that uh, that computes that uh you know uh, accepts input it's like the brain kind of the mind mm -hmm. the brain i mean it's almost right i mean it's kind of an object Awareness is not an object. Awareness is a, a sensation or an experience. Uh, so you have to have a mind 
to have awareness. Awareness is a function of the mind. So that. So so that, this is an interesting point that you're bringing up because they actually, you know, there's a famous uh, story that uh, they they approached the Dalai Lama and they asked him to to analyze the brains of his top meditators uh, because they said, "quote We want to understand how the brain produces consciousness." Or in other words, how the brain produces awareness. And the Dalai Lama famously said, that's an interesting theory. And his meaning was, he doesn't think that it's the brain that's producing awareness or consciousness, but he thinks that awareness and consciousness are the primordial thing. And that the brain is like an antenna that taps into it. Um, but yeah, to your point, you know, I think what you're what you're trying to say is like, awareness is more of a general sensation and mind is maybe like, a tool or an analytic faculty. Is that where you're going with it? I mean, that's what it seems. Um, yeah. I mean, but uh, yeah, sure. I mean, I, I have heard the other way around that uh, there is a imperceptible, you know, field force field or dimension of reality that is awareness. And then that the mind can somehow, uh, you know, tap into that. And so mm -hmm. the mind is not actually awareness. It's just a, uh, it can be aware by, you know, becoming uh, intimate with awareness, but that's a weird, I don't know. That's uh doesn't <laughs> I have a hard time with that. There's just no evidence to suggest that that's the case. Exactly. Seem... So, so the, the whole point of this, like he's saying from the very beginning is that you will never be able to really understand this, right? They cannot be distinguished by analytic reasoning. So I think, you know, for you and me, as people who went to medical school and, with you know, so much of our lives, it's been invested in us by other people to to, you know, really develop this analytic faculty. Ironically, this is the thing that's going to undo you almost when you're trying to, you know, quote unquote, trying to understand the nature of mind. Um, and, you know, what does it mean to really tap into awareness? And, you know, the, the way that it's always put, you know, in the Dao De Ching is that it's the comparison of the muddy waters and, you know, the, the every thought used, you know, by this analytic faculty is like almost muddying up the waters more and more because you're trying to cut reality into pieces. Uh, but the way to see clearly in this muddy waters to allow the mud to settle to the bottom and, you know, the, the way to do that is by, you know, in a way, letting go of of analytic reasoning. And I think that's part of why this this analogy is used like here uh, there. It is said like ice, water and ice, water and ice are not entirely the same for the latter is solid and can be held. So we were already struggling. We're like, OK, so what is really the difference between awareness and mind? Right. Because if you have a mind, then you must already have awareness and can you have awareness without mind? And it's like, what is really the difference? Well, I think this is a great analogy because if you understand that water and ice are fundamentally H2O at the end of the day, they're the same stuff, but they manifest differently. So ice is like this crystallized thing. It's like definitive, concrete over here. That's kind of like the way the mind is. The mind is cutting reality into crystalline structures all around us. But Awareness is more like water, like the Tao being like water. It's just something that infuses everything. And because it can take the shape of anything and everything, and it sinks to the lowest point, 
and it you know gets into every nook and cranny, I think that's why it's a very good analogy for awareness. Uh, but at the end of the day, once you understand everything, you once you are enlightened, you see that the water and the ice were really one all along, because molten ice is none other than water, right? And that's exactly what what he's saying here. Um, but yeah, let's see. You know, I I really love these last you know four lines here, where he says, "Mind will appear." So one day, as your confidence and awareness grows, right? So Doctor Nat said, "This is perfect for you," because you and I both we have this like this difficulty of having some kind of faith. Are we supposed to have faith, maybe, in in awareness? Like, is that really what this is about? Not quite faith the way that we were brought up with it, because. It's not like it a leap. Is. That's exactly what it is. It, in a, in a, a way, it, it is. like a faith. In a way, it is. But at the same time, it's not asking you be- to believe something that you cannot directly experience. So that's a little bit the difference, because maybe a Christian will tell you, just have faith in Jesus, even if you don't see him. You know, But I guess the, at the end of the day, you might never actually have a mystical experience in Christianity. But the point in Buddhism is to see directly into your own mind to see directly into your own awareness. And I think that's what it's trying to point point you to. But you're right. You're 100% right that it's very similar to the faith of Christianity in the beginning, because in order to embark on the journey in the first place, you have to have some kind of faith or some kind of awareness or or some some kind of confidence that awareness will grow. All right. So he's saying here, one day as your confidence in awareness grows, mind will appear as witless as a child. So your mind right now you and I, our minds are like the primary thing. They're like the dominant thing in awareness. But as awareness grows, mind will t- kind of take a back seat. So it'll be as witless as a child. The the you know the vicissitudes of mind and the 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 fickle mercurial nature of mind will be like a child. You know, if you pay attention to the nature of your mind, it's like, oh, what about this? And then what about this? And then what about that? And the past and the future. And the mind is kind of, is almost like a little kid with ADHD. <laughs> Maybe I just have ADHD. I don't know. But I but think the, also li- uh, limited. It's very yes. limited. A child very can't limited. appreciate. Exactly. A child cannot appreciate things. You know, it doesn't. Uh, can't. But this idea of it being witless is almost like it's it's almost directionless. It's almost random. Um. So, but you know, as you as you start to notice the the that very nature of mind being like a little witless child. And awareness as wise as a venerable old sage, whereas awareness is sitting there with this wisdom, with this equanimity, and it's just, it's been waiting for you the whole time. It's been waiting for the mind child to just settle down, right? So the the child mind has been running and frolicking in the fields for so long, um, up until the point that it's time for, for dinner. Or it's time, it tires itself out, really, I'd say. It keeps running, 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 playing, playing, playing. Eventually, the mind needs to relax. And the venerable old sage of awareness is just sitting there all the while. Awareness will not run after mind, but eclipse it. In a relaxed, serene state, rest at ease. So I think that's the key, is that don't force the mind to sit down. Right, so you can think of mind. I think mean, this is a great analogy. Think of the mind as a little child. It's the child version of you that lives inside of you. If you yell at that child, 
you're not going to calm it down. <laughs> you're just going to make it even more riled up. Once you let it run its course and tire itself out, then it can settle down. And the, the natural wisdom of awareness will eclipse it naturally. Oh, I hear somebody coming. Um, all right. So, so, so let's, let's continue, I guess, and we'll see where he takes this because his stuff is really pretty beautiful. Um, let's see. Hey, Manishma. Good to see you. Come join us. So we're we're reading the 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 teachings from a uh, 20th century uh, uh, Tibetan Buddhist teacher. Uh, I think he's Tibetan uh, teacher of the Dalai Lama, and he's talking about. Uh, I'll read you the last four five lines to catch you up. One day, as your confidence in awareness grows, mind will appear as witless as a child, and awareness as wise as a vulnerable venerable old sage. Awareness will not run after mind, but eclipse it in a relaxed, serene state, rest at ease. Right? So you have the mind is like a little child that is just tiring itself out. But all the while, the venerable old sage is just sitting, waiting to eclipse it in a way. Um, so we'll continue reading and see what it means. While mind is watching mind, though there is nothing to see, it is vividly clear uncontrived, free, and at ease in that state. Rest naturally, simply undistracted. Whatever thought occurs from that state, without stopping or analyzing, watch its very nature. Its arising doesn't obscure the absolute nature. Whatever occurs, relax right there. Don't follow thoughts about the past. Don't anticipate thoughts about the future. Directly transcend the external world. That is called the four parts without three. If you maintain this recognition of thoughts, you will feel that they do not truly begin, remain, or end. Though you notice them, they have no effect on your true nature. <clears throat> That is their natural state, the way it is. If you take that empty awareness, open and carefree, as the path, all the time, during formal practice and afterward, you will quickly and surely acquire a confident realization that confusion is freed by itself. So we'll pause here for, for a second. There's a lot to unpack here. Um, but it's basically saying, I think, as the mind is watching itself, you can allow whatever thoughts to come up to come up, but don't go after them. So don't delve into thoughts about the past and don't get lost in the past and don't delve into thoughts about the future and jump into the future. Don't, you know, don't stop and analyze, just watch the nature of mind. Notice how mind is always projecting forward and always projecting backwards, um, right? And that just because things are arising doesn't mean it's obscuring the absolute nature. There is no, no such thing as, the, as an obscuration of the absolute nature of mind, of awareness, right? So whatever is happening, just relax with that. Um, and he says, 
If you maintain this recognition of thoughts, you will feel that they do not truly begin, remain, or end. I really love this. That there's no beginning here or ending of thoughts. It's just all part of this, this sea of mind. This oneness. You, you can't, at this stage, you can't even separate thoughts from one another. They're all just part of this grand ocean, I think, of thoughts. And, and all of that is part of awareness. Um, so they start to dissolve of themselves. And they have no effect on your true nature. I think this is key. As you watch them passing quickly, slowly, whatever's going on, you know all the while that they have no effect on your true nature, which is awareness. Right? So we always say that the clear water of the lake only holds the image of the geese as long as they're flying over. But it doesn't hold on to the image of the geese longer than they are above it. Right? So that means you can never be marred by things that pass through mind. So much of our psychological difficulties in, in all of our lives is this feeling that we are somehow going to be stuck on something that's happened in the past, and that's depression, or worried about some a possible future. And when you realize that the, your true nature can never be colored by these things, that's when what, what he says here. You will have a, a confident realization that confusion is freed by itself. Just by getting in touch with your true nature right now, as it is. Confusion is freed of itself. Any questions till we before we move on from this from this section? We'll keep going with it within his teachings. Great. It is very helpful to mingle your mind inseparably with your teachers by settling in equipoise within that state, developing faith and devotion, you will meet the natural face of Dharmakaya. Welcome, I.D., Baruch Haba. Hi, Mikey. Hi, team. It's good to see you. We're doing Hello. some Hello. Welcome. Yeah, Baruch Haba. So, so we're, we're, get, we're getting some meditation advice from a, the teacher of the Dalai Lama right now, I.D. So you're getting it wow. from the, the Hacham Mina Hachamim. That's the, so, the, the chief rabbi of uh, India. Bashi. <laughs> exactly. So, so let's see. We were just talking about allowing the mind to settle of itself. And when you do that, awareness naturally eclipses the mind. So in the sense that it reveals itself to have been part of every thought and everything. It is what is. It is just pure awareness. And when the mind is like limited... And it's thinking awareness is much more expansive. That's the best way I could put it. The mind tries to cut things and, and crystallize things. We, we compared it earlier to ice and water. If the mind is like ice, the awareness is like water. They're, fundamentally, they're the same H2O. But the mind tries to crystallize things and separate them. And it can't take the shape of anything. But awareness is like water. It can take the shape of anything. It is very helpful to mingle your mind inseparably with your teachers, right? So let's let's all mingle our minds together right now. By settling in equipoise within that state, developing faith and devotion, 
will meet the natural face of Dharmakaya. Right. I think that uh, Mikey, what's what's the thousand dollar word? The definition. Yeah, let's, no, let's, let's what so Dharmakaya was coined to describe a more metaphorical body, a body or collection of all the Buddha's good qualities or dharmas. Ah, and equipoise, what is that? Equipoise is like equanimity, like just total seren inner serenity. Uh-huh. Right, so Dharmakaya is like the the archetype of the collection of all the, the previous Buddha's good qualities, dharmas like his wisdom his compassion his fortitude his patience right so you become the embodiment of that when you sit simply in equanimity within yourself he says especially guard the continuity of impermanence renunciation and pure discipline like your own eyes right so he's giving you a path towards this he's saying one of them is always always pay attention to impermanence pay attention to everything being transient everything being temporary everything is always temporary that's one of the keys the other key renunciation doesn't mean to be an ascetic renunciation means doing things really in a modest moderation so it doesn't mean restricting yourself I've you know I've listened to a great lecture from Joseph Goldstein on the Waking Up app from Sam Harris about the renunciate path. I recommend it because it means eating what you need to eat to be healthy, drinking what you need to drink to be healthy. So what I did at my friend's house at the Super Bowl was not renunciate. You know we can, we have those. I'm not going to shame myself for it, but that that wasn't the renunciate path. What I'm sure a lot of us did at the Super Bowl. That doesn't mean it was wrong, but it's just if you really want to cultivate this type of awareness, it's hard to do that when you're indulging too much in food and drink and what have you. Right. So he says, and pure discipline, right? So pure discipline, just having the discipline to sit. And we always talk about Taoism. You don't have to force yourself to sit, but it's good to have a routine where you sit every day in meditation and contemplation. That's what we pray three times a day. Well, what a gift we have. We're obligated to have this discipline where we just are with God every day, three times a day. What a ness. What a miracle. Right. But in any, from Buddha to, to Einstein to, to, to the Zohar to Rambam, they all have that timeout period. No? Everybody's got to have that. You know, even yeah. like, all these yeah. physicists, they used to love to go for a walk. They would look at the problem, and they wouldn't be able to solve it. And then they would walk by the lake, and then all of a sudden, Eureka, right? I think uh, the guy who discovered buoyancy, he was sitting in the bathtub. And then he said, Eureka. I think Archimedes, that's who it, Archimedes' principle. He discovered the principle not when he was slaving over the paper, but when he went to take a bath, he figured it out. Yeah, but they're all like, I read a, a cute thing today, quote, I get all these things, Einstein quotes or whatever, yeah. part of my insanity of learning everything. <laughs> and Einstein said that when he runs, when he runs into this space of, wow, I got to, you know, I got to think, I'm Einstein, I got to think, he, he lays out on the floor, he looks at the ceiling, mm -hmm. and he just starts to imagine. Unbelievable. It's time out, you know? Yeah, and that's ironically the, the most creative thing for the mind. Shabbat, beautiful, 100%. It's a time of just pure meditation for us. 
So let's see, never diminish your one-pointed diligence in the heart of the matter. The essential yoga of the profound meaning. Alternate, alter, oh, sorry, alternating study, reflection, and meditation. The one will help the others. Ultimately, that is what you need to resolve. Right. Mikey, is hit boy they do meditation? I think it definitely is. I think it it's is, a yeah. form of meditation for sure. Right. No doubt. No doubt at all. And and that's by the way, this is a very Jewish thing, right? Alternating no, study. That's my guy, my rabbi's, you know, is a Breslov, and that's Rabbi Nachman is, you know, go in the farm forest and scream your brains out. <laughs> exactly. I love it. I love it. That's that's exactly the point. And in Judaism, it's so fun. Obviously, we know obviously we know Limud Torah. So right. all things study, reflection, and meditation. Right. So reflection is probably like more of like a hit body do it, and meditation is probably more of a, a disciplined sitting. Uh, but we need to balance all these three. And the one will help the others, exactly like we were saying. The more you do one. And in balance with the others, they'll they'll feed off each other and help each other. You can't study too right. much. You can't. You also can't just wander in reflection. Right, you, right, the right, balance right. of the discipline and the time for just reflecting. But is it is this in your space? Is this a ref, is this a prescription to knock out anxiety? Or I think it's it's more than anything. I mean, it will. I think it will knock out anxiety. But I think it's a prescription for understanding your true nature right as a result of that it will knock out not only anxiety but depression and a lot of other things right. that whole family right exactly 100 right ultimately that is what you need to resolve so practice the essential meaning with tenacity may this delightful sacred offering cloud of essential pith instructions cause you to gain realization of the definitive secret that is like space so beautiful. He's saying, like, like, let this teaching be like a ketoret for you. He's saying, like an incense offering for you to teach you that the definitive secret is like space. Or teach you the definitive secret that is like space. Right. So basically, I want to teach you about emptiness, is what he's saying. And here's another piece of writing from, from this very brilliant man. He says, in order to conquer the high ground of the uncreated nature of mind, we must go to the source and recognize the origin of our thoughts. So we have the opportunity to do that ourselves, right? You yourself can have a direct seeing. That's why it's faith in a sense in the beginning to have faith that it'll lead you somewhere. But ironically, it's to lead you where you already are. But at the same time, it's not something you have to leap into like other religions because it's telling you you yourself can see this the highest thing that there is to see which is the very mundane thing to see ironically he says otherwise one thought gives rise to a second thought the second thought to a third and so on forever and i would say as as alan watts as the chinese call it yen 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 mm. thought 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 right it just keeps happening we are constantly assailed by memories of the past and carried away by expectations for the future and lose all awareness of the present. It is our mind that leads us astray into the cycle of existences. Blind to the mind's true nature, we hold fast to our thoughts 
which are nothing but manifestations of that nature. This freezes awareness into solid concepts such as I and other desirable and detestable and plenty of others, right? So that's the, once you engage in mind, it's the equivalent of eating from which we're going to discuss when we get heebie-jeebie in a few minutes. But, but basically, this it's exactly the metaphor he gave earlier. It's freezing awareness. Mind is freezing of awareness. It's the crystallization, the concretization of awareness into a point, into a cutting of reality into a section. And that might be true from that subjective perspective, but it's totally false from the expansive perspective of pure watery awareness. So I'm very glad that we delved into that first section, Dr. Nasser, because now we're seeing how it really manifests. If you think about it, when you study anything, yeah. you're crystallizing it. Absolutely. And ironically, the, ironically, the, you're saying, the path towards the water is through the ice. Yes. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Is that yeah, you're gonna you're gonna initially start off with cutting things around and 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 crystallizing things, and then eventually it'll hopefully lead you towards a place where you realize it was water the whole time. So that's why you don't have to be afraid of cutting things. It's not wrong to cut things and to crystallize things. In some contexts, it's, it's the things that cause depression and anxiety. Exactly. So that's I the mean, thing. I'm, I'm taking it in that context. Mm -hmm. I'm taking it in a more negative context. 100%. You wrote this book and you focused on writing this book. 100%. But, but at the same time, uh, absolutely, that's the point, is that is that it doesn't have to lead you towards those things. It could also lead you to great joy because everything is a duality. Exactly. It's going to lead you towards everything. Inevitably, you, and you also can't avoid it. But at the same time, you can you can come back more often to the water of awareness. That's what I'd say. Yeah, great. Um, this is how, yeah. So this is how we create samsara. Right, so we create samsara. We create the suffering of births and deaths and life and birth and death. And all this stuff is created by this constant cutting of reality into good and evil but if instead of letting our thoughts solidify we recognize their emptiness then each thought that arises and disappears in the mind renders the realization of emptiness even clearer right so if don't allow all your thoughts to solidify and lead to more and more thinking and delving into them instead allow the thought to dissolve but how do you do that? Just by noticing its emptiness. Where did it come from? It's like Khan Ijo. Where did it come from? Where did it go? Where did you come from, Khan Ijo? That's what a thought is like. It's coming from this, this pool of chemicals of the brain, which came from where? Which came from the sperm and the egg, which came from where? Which came from the dust of the earth, which came from it's all just this, this sea of chemicals. Where did it come from? It's really just, at the end of the day, it's just emptiness. Because all of matter came from, like, nothingness. It's all this, just really that emptiness. Um, but, and it's, it, the amazing thing is, every thought that arises and disappears in the mind will eventually allow you to see emptiness more clearly. Um, and I, I think this is, you know, it's amazing because we're so programmed, I think, to when we're experiencing pleasure, we want to cling to it. 
right? We want to hold on to it. So we're we're probably more apt to awareness or to, to giving our thoughts and our feelings more awareness when we're feeling good. So if you're sitting in a meditation, you're really feeling good, you're going to want to pay more attention. But if you're feeling lousy and you're in pain or you're, you're tired or you're angry or whatever it is, it's such a seductive thing to not want to pay attention, to not want to fully embrace those feelings because they're too painful. And when you're physically ill or whatever it is, but the key is that you keep training your mind not to run away, to keep noticing the emptiness, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing. And you keep noticing that every thought is just empty phenomena rolling on. It's just empty phenomena rolling on. And the, the thoughts carry much less power that way. In the heart of winter, the chill freezes lakes and rivers. Water becomes so solid that it can bear men, beasts and carts. As spring approaches, earth and water warm up and thaw. What then remains of the hardness of the ice? Water is soft and fluid, ice hard and sharp. So we cannot say that they are identical, but neither can we say that they are different because ice is only solidified water and water is only melted ice. The same applies to our perception of the world around us. To be attached to the reality of phenomena, to be tormented by attraction and repulsion, by pleasure and pain, gain and loss, fame and obscurity, praise and blame, creates a solidity in the mind. What we have to do, therefore, is to melt the ice of concepts into the living water of the freedom within. It's so much about that freedom within. Whatever you're doing, whatever you are experiencing in your inner world or in the outer world, it's all part of this flowing water from within. And whether you're experiencing the greatest pain or the greatest pleasure, it's just allowing yourself to put a little distance between yourself and that thought. Not to be split-minded. Not to try to follow up a thought with a thought and all that. But just to not identify your absolute self with the ice of that thought or that specific feeling. All phenomena of samsara and nirvana, right? <laughs> so of, of uh, the wheel of birth and death and the, the painful being lost is samsara and nirvana is that experience of enlightenment. So all phenomena of being lost and of enlightenment arise like a rainbow. And like a rainbow, they are devoid of any tangible existence. So you can't put your finger on them. Both enlightenment and samsara, both of them are not tangible. So enlightenment is not something you can grab onto. Just like the pain and suffering of being lost is also not something you can grab onto. Once you have recognized the true nature of reality, which is empty, and at the same time appears as the phenomenal world, your mind will cease to be under the power of delusion. So that's really a very powerful thing. Just by continually practicing this, come back to your own inner nature. And the delusions of your mind won't be as powerful.
You know, I see people who are like double diluted when they're, when they're in the <laughs> right? Why, why are they double diluted? Well, we're all singly diluted. You know, we're all primarily diluted. What's our primary delusion? Our primary delusion is that I am a separate self. I am a separate self who has, you know, these problems and these, you know, uh, pleasures and these pains and these different things. That's a delusion from the point of view of absolute reality. But then you add gasoline to that fire, and what do you get? You get paranoia. You get crazy grandiosity. Where and what's the reason for that? It's it's almost because they're ju- they're du- they're doubling down on this delusion of self. And there's nothing more healing at that moment. I sat with a, a Jewish woman today in Lenox Hill, and I sat with her and I told her, you know, I said, just come back to here. She's telling me the windows and uh, are are waving at me and this and that. I'm telling her, okay, let's let's just do a practicing. Of of box breathing, and we breathed for a minute, five seconds in, five second hold, five seconds out, five second hold, and just that experience I think gave her some solace. Even though she went right back into the samsara, maybe you know during that during those moments it was helpful. Maybe it'll be something in the future. Who knows? But it's like a, it's like a double delusion once you add gasoline to that fire. But what's the solution here? If you know how to leave your thoughts free to dissolve by themselves, as they arise, they will cross your mind as a bird crosses the sky without leaving any trace. Right? So any you have so much fear about these random things happening in your life. You have so much depression or regret about things that have already happened to you in your life. But what if you can connect to your nature right now and clean yourself off of all those regrets and all that depression from the past and from all the worries about possibilities in the future? Because your true nature is not defined. It's not separate. It's not crystallized. That's freedom. Maintain that state of simplicity. If you enter happiness, sorry, if you encounter happiness, Success, prosperity, or other favorable conditions. Consider them as dreams and illusions and do not get attached to any of them. If you are stricken by illness, calamity, deprivation, or other physical and mental trials, do not let yourself get discouraged, but rekindle your compassion and generate the wish that through your suffering, all being sufferings may be exhausted. Whatever circumstances arise, do not plunge into either elation or misery, but stay free and comfortable in unshaken serenity. It's such a skill because we are all trying to push away the pain because life is full of you know suffering and we're all trying to run after the pleasure. But the better you become at not identifying too much with those pleasures or those pains, the better you become at tolerating whatever comes up and just remaining in in your own inner equanimity with whatever's arising, 
those thoughts and feelings have so much less power. And and it's just that's real freedom. So that's it for for um the uh, Dilgo Khiense Rinpoche. Um, but uh <laughs> he's you know his name is hard to pronounce, but he's pretty awesome. Um teacher of the Dalai Lama. So now we'll do somebody somebody from the Western world, uh Henry David Thoreau and his uh, he's, wall. He's Dyer's guy. He is Dyer's guy, really? He's so good, man. He's good, Thoreau, yeah. See, I was listening to John Kabat-Zinn's book, Wherever You are, Go, There You Are, and he uh, quotes this this quote, and I thought it was so great. I said, oh, I got to bring it to you guys. So Thoreau says, Sometimes in a summer morning, having taken my accustomed bath, I sat in my sunny doorway from sunrise till noon, wrapped in a reverie amidst the pines and hickories and sumacs in undisturbed solitude and stillness while the birds sing around or flitted noiseless through the house until by the sun falling in at my west window or the noise of some traveler's wagon on the distant highway, I was reminded of the lapse of time. I grew in those seasons like corn in the night, and they were far better than any work of the hands would have been. They were not time subtracted from my life, but so much over and above my usual allowance. I realized what the Orientals mean by contemplation and the forsaking of works. For the most part, I minded not how the hours went. The day advanced as if to light some work of mine. It was morning and lo, now it is evening and nothing memorable is accomplished. Hmm. That's a very Taoist feeling. The Taoists love that. The Taoists love purposelessness. And we can talk, you know, everyone always asks, what about that? that, that. We don't have to get into the balance of, you know, you can be doing things for a purpose and you can balance those with doing things purposelessly and you can, you know, have fun while at work. We always talk about that. But it's such an amazing thing. He ends off this quote with, how great was it because nothing memorable was accomplished? But that's the point. The point was that there was no point. And the point always is that there's no point. <laughs> so before we do the heebie-jeebie stuff, I just want to give you a little bit so, of thoughts. Yeah. To, to, to the extreme, Yeah. obviously, this is not a righteous path. I mean, like, right, obviously. I mean, like, you can't, that's, it always occurs to me, it's like, Okay, great. So you had a whole day. You didn't do a goddamn thing. You didn't help <laughs> anyone. You didn't. You didn't pray. You didn't put out the feeling. You didn't. Yeah. Uh, you, you did nothing. You did nothing yeah. for nobody. You yeah. know. You, maybe you feel better. Your brain, I guess, <laughs> is healthier. I don't know, but it doesn't sound like the righteous path. You know. Yeah. I. I don't. I don't think it has to be. Um. You know, with devoid of. You know. You know, having a job. I think it could be something. That you do, you know, for a week, you know, I mean, put well, on different No, no, mind. but I was saying, you, yeah. yeah, I'm saying, but to the extreme, if you said, yes, okay, extreme, of I'm, course. I'm in, this is what I want to do, yeah. you know, that's it. I'm going to, I'm going to go all in on this. It's, uh, it's not uh, compatible, that's, you know. That's a Baruch Habar Agur. This is, that is the perfect segue, what you just said, Dr. Nasser, to this. Because when you take it to the extreme, what do you get? You get the fool. And Alan Watts talks about the fool. 
uh, and he, is, he has like a lecture on the wisdom of the fool, which we've been talking a little bit about uh, the past couple of weeks. So he says, the fool has always been used as a kind of analog of the sage. There's a Hindu verse which says, sometimes naked, sometimes mad, now as a scholar, now as a fool. Thus they appear on earth, the free men. So when you take it to its extreme, which you kind of have to, by the way, because you're it really does beg the question, what if I lived my life in a Taoist way all the time, all the time? Then I would be like a Mongolian idiot child, says Alan Watts. Then then I would just be that's basically what you become. Or a silent monk. Or a silent monk. And it's kind of the same thing. Let's see what he says. For Zhuang Zhao. You must get the point of view that small things are as big as big things can be, and big things are as small as small things can be. Everything can be looked at as great or small, important and unimportant, and all the steps between, because his conception of the world is essentially cyclic. In his idea of the circle, and Taoist and Zen teachers have a whole method of teaching by circles and drawing circles, the center of a circle is any point on the circumference. Wow. Sphere, if you have a sphere, where is the center of the sphere? Any point on the sphere is the center of the sphere. You can begin anywhere. Wow. So now this is what I really couldn't wait to get to. There's a koan in Zen Buddhism which asks the question, Indra built the seamless tower. Where did he begin? Now a seamless tower is like a sleeve with no seam on it. It's a continuous cylinder of cloth. So the continuous cylindrical tower is the seamless tower. Where do you start? So in the same way, where does the circle start of the circle of life? The circle of life? Mm -hmm. The the interdependence of the bees and the flowers, the interdependence of long and short, you see. It's all circular. Wow. And so there is nowhere. Say it again. I said, I like that, Mikey. Right, yeah. So so the point is, like, life doesn't begin with your life. Life is death. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the meaning of the, of the Buddha's first noble truth. Life is suffering. Because mm-hmm. where do you begin? Do you begin with death and decay, or do you begin with life? It's all arbitrary where you begin. So he says, and so there is nowhere and there is everywhere that it can begin. But in a circle, a circle is not... In other words, I, I got the message with the circle, but the circle, there's no fill, finish line if you keep circling. Exactly. That's the thing. Yeah. That, and there's also no value to no value. the top or the bottom. Like yeah, exactly. Difference. Right. Yeah. 100%. And I think a big part of enlightenment is getting over the quote unquote depression that you might feel because you also might feel tremendous relief. That's what nirvana means. Phew. Right, it means right. that it means like holy cow this whole time i thought there was something to be accomplished that was life and death and now this view this relief of nirvana is so overwhelming but it could also lead to depression if you were so right. invested right. in your right. goals right. right now you could be like well, then what's the what's the point what's the value and you tell somebody it's just music it's just oh, a it's interesting mike on the circle in business, I, I mean, it could be a, a lot of applications, but in business, I've seen a lot of companies use it, and I started to like to use it as a model where mm. it's, a, it's a Venn diagram where all the circles are overlapping and they all yes. connect. 
So maybe like a myriad of circles could really get you to another level or something, you know? It doesn't have to be one circle. Maybe it could be four intertwined circles, like a Venn diagram. Like when I do a business model, if it's in service and this and that, you put the circles together where they all feed off each other. So yeah. maybe a multiple circle could be an enlightenment. You know, to, to give you also some solace, I, you know, I'm a person who does things for the sake of goals, and so are all of you. Right. I don't think the point is to abandon your goals because your goals are also part of the Tao. But don't think of them in too much absolute right. terms because we're all going to die someday. Right. But like the doctor said before, and I'm not, I'm trying to just say what, what his thought was, if you're in a circle, where are you going? <laughs> exactly. That's that's the question. And and we all have to contend with that, by the way, because we're all going to die. We're okay, all gonna fine. Die. But so you just... You're hoping your circle is a big circle? I mean... <laughs> that's the thing, is you're hoping, okay, maybe you get you give to your kids and you give it... But you think of it like this, it's like, so then where does the buck stop? Where does it ever say, oh, now it's this is the point of the whole thing. Is there ever going to be something that's satisfactory enough? You talk about Olam Abba, you talk about this, and we make these epic stories with the sefirot and the this and the that and the point. And it does feel that way, by the way. The irony is, on the one hand, there was a goal. The goal was to get to enlightenment. That was the goal. The goal was to meet with God. But the irony was, once you got enlightened and you met God, you realized that there was no goal the whole time. And that's why the whole time we have to talk about paradox. Because there is 100% a goal. If you totally abandon the goal of enlightenment to an extreme degree where you where you indulge in pleasure nonsensically and you become some kind of crazy hedonist you're never going to i mean i don't know about it, never but that's not going to lead you towards enlightenment but at the same time if you are too goal oriented and you don't let go of that once you're on the verge of merging with the divine consciousness you're never going to understand god so you can't cling to goals, and you also can't cling to non-goals. You have to just allow. And it's and it means you can set intentions and set goals, but don't be too crystalline in the way you're doing it. Yes, exactly. Roll with the punches. Flow with it. So let's see. In the same way, when he discusses the organs of the body, he makes a catalog of all these organs and says, now which do you prefer? <laughs> right? Do you prefer the heart or the liver? Do you prefer the brain or the lungs? Right? He says, which one comes first and which one follows? Which one rules and which ones are servants? He said, it seems that there may be a governor in all this, right, in the whole universe, but nobody could ever find it. Just as you can't get away from now, you can't get out of the Tao. Mm. Right? So, so we're always looking for God. We're looking for the Atman. We're looking for the being. The self, we're all looking for ourselves, but nobody ever found it. A path there is, but no one who travels. Suffering exists, but no one who suffers. Enlightenment is, but no one who attains it. Mm. That's the point. And there is no point. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. I called myself. I tried. <laughs> so... So we'll get a little heebie-jeebie now. I don't know how much time we really have. Hopefully, uh, Gerard doesn't kick us out too soon. But let's see. We'll do uh, – this is now so – we're in a new section and a little bit of the of the Zohar because we left off last time closing so beautifully with um, 
the Bishimon Bar Yochai, he had this mystical experience after he heard about his his son to be Al-Azan and be Abba and their mystical experience. And he was so overjoyed that he called them Peniel or Peneel, the faces of God. Right, the same way Yaakov named the place Peniel. So now we're going back to Bereshit. We're, we're still on the first word of the Torah. Because there's, of course, so much to unpack. I mean, that's all, that's all we can ever talk about is Bereshit. Because every moment is Bereshit. Bereshit in the beginning, Rabbi Haya opened. The beginning of wisdom is all of Yod Kevavke. Bereshit Chokma Yirat Adonai. Sechel Tov Lechol Osehem Tehillato Omedet Laad. We say that on Shabbat and Menha, right? In the, at the, after the Amidah. The beginning of wisdom is all of God. All who actualize it gain good insight. His praise endures forever. It's from Tehillim. Bereshit Chokma. Right, the beginning of wisdom. This verse should read the end of wisdom is all of God because all of God is really the end of wisdom. Right, so the end of wisdom, by the way, is identified by the Kabbalists as Shekhinah. Why is it the end of wisdom? Well, Shekhinah is the lowest of all the Sefirot. Chokmah is like the first emanation after Keter because Keter is like Ensof, it's like the infinity. So the first emanation really is Chokmah, and the last one is. The, the lower Chokhmah, which is uh, Shekhinah. So it, they're saying it really should be the end of wisdom because it's the end of the process of wisdom is Shekhinah. However, it enables one to enter the level of supernal wisdom. As is written, open for me gates of righteousness. righteousness. We say that in uh, Halil. This is the gate to Yod Kevavke. Right? Truly, for unless one enters this gate, one will never enter. So it's saying um, that, yes, from one perspective, Shekhinah is the end of wisdom. But from the other perspective, it's the beginning of wisdom. Because when you're approaching it from the bottom up, you have to go through the gate of the wisdom of Shekhinah. This is really interesting. Let's see what it, what it says now. This is one of my favorite sections of the Zohar that I've personally encountered so far. This can be compared to an exalted king, <coughs> high, concealed, and hidden away, who built gates for himself, one above the other. Right? So Hashem, in a way, is guarding himself with gates upon gates upon gates. At the end of all the gates, he fashioned one gate with many locks. Right? So the outermost gate is Shekhinah, and it's full of locks, openings, palaces, one above the other. He said, whoever wishes to enter my presence, this gate will be first. Whoever enters will enter th through this gate. So he's saying, if you want to enter towards the supernal realm, you got to enter through Shekhinah. Similarly, the first gate to supernal wisdom is awe of Yodke Vavke. Right? Yirat Adonai is also the, the first gate. Um, and it it's uh, the king is the parable in the parable, symbolizes supernal wisdom. So the king really is Chokhmah, who has fashioned the various gates. Right, All the gates are levels probably of the Sefirot, from Chokhmah down to Shekhinah. Um, the last gate, of course, is Shekhinah. And you also have to encounter like camps of angels, chariots, and palaces, according to Midrashim, before you get to Shekhinah. Similarly, the first gate to supernal wisdom is all of Yod Kevavke. Uh, this is Reshit, beginning right so in order to get to the supernal chokhmah 
you got to go through Reshit. What is Reshit? Bet. What's Bet Reshit? Bet Reshit. Two joined together as one. Right? So it's saying the wisdom, the Chokhmah of Shekhinah and the wisdom of Chokhmah are one. So you could look at Shekhinah as like a, a little fractal. It's like a little piece of glass that is reflecting the, the entire spectrum of all the colors. And you could see Chokhmah in the lower of the lower Sefirah of Shekhinah because you look at it and it refracts all the Sefirah from the bottom. So you're at the bottom of the chandelier looking up at it and you're seeing the refracting of all the colors through the lower of Shekhinah. Sorry, Gerard. Thank you so much. Um, all right, so it's two joined together as one. Um, so, and, the circle. It's the uh, yes, 100%. 100%. In the beginning, alludes to both wisdom and Shekhinah. The letter Bet, the second letter of the alphabet, signifies two, and both of these, if you don't, are called a sheet. Beginning wisdom is the beginning of emanation, right? Chokhmah, while Shekhinah is the first gate on the spiritual path. So it really depends which way you're looking at it from. Um, okay. These are two points. Uh, one hidden, one concealed, one existing overtly, right? So the one that's more overt is Shekhinah. Exactly, because it's more, right? That That's the one that we see most clearly physically. Um, since they are inseparable, they are called Reshit, beginning one, not two. Whoever attains one attains the other, right? So in fact, they're inseparable because in fact, it's all one. This is what we were discussing earlier. So Shekhinah and Chokhmah really are one. Despite the fact that you see them as separate, it's the whole panoply in one. But you, from the bottom looking up, you see Shekhinah, and then you see Chokhmah at the top. From the top looking down, you see Chokhmah and then Shekhinah at the bottom. Whoever attains one attains the other because, right, upon entering Shekhinah, lower wisdom, one encounters higher wisdom reflected in her, right? Because Shekhinah reflects all of them. All is one. Right. There's a flow. You have to think there's a flow. All, Absolutely. Right? I mean, exactly. that's, that's the thing. You're exactly. all going into. Flow, it's like the bloodstream of all of them. All is one for he and his name are one. As is written, they will know that you, Yod Kevavke, alone are your name. All right? So he and his name are one. Everything is one. We even say, you know, the, the Harambam and uh, Ibn Ezra say, Hashem is the knower, the knowledge, and the known. You can't even talk about God and his knowledge because they're all one. So, and he and his name are one. Shekhinah reveals the Sefirot, and that's why Shekhinah is known as the name of God. It's the divine personality. It's the one that manifests all these different qualities of God, quote unquote, which are all really one. Uh, why is it called awe of God? Yeah, because it is the tree of good and evil. Right? So why is Shekhinah called Yirat Adonai? Because actually it's it's Hadatobara. It's the tree of knowledge of good and evil from the Garden of Eden. If a person is deserving, it is good. If not evil. So awe abides at this site, gateway to all goodness of the world. Right? So it's very awe-inspiring when you're encountering Shekhinah. Why? So, so the, the, yeah, the awe is because you don't know, you're not sure if you're good. So yes. you're scared that you exactly. might not be worthy, I guess. You, you don't know what you're going to get. You take mushrooms, you don't know if you're going to have a good trip or a bad trip. You're eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil at that point. And in another sense, isn't it amazing... It's saying 
in the divine realm, in Shekhinah upwards, there's no such thing as good and evil. It, there's no dualism. It's all one. But the second you come from Shekhinah down to our physical reality, boom, tobara, good and evil, concretizing it. It's ice now. It's crystallized into good and evil. Um, but it, and, and Shekhinah is that entry point. It's like, can you get past Shekhinah into the divine realm? Well, you have to contend with this Eitz Adat Tovara. What does it mean to be in awe of the Shekhinah or in awe of Hashem? I think the idea of awe is really just a very, it's like, it's like state of consciousness. an experience of that which is larger than yourself. We're talking which, about Yirat, right? Yirat. 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 Right. Mm -hmm. so it's really not awe. It's it's not a good translation. Yeah, it's 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 like a it's it could be terror, but it could also be like something that's awesome, awe inspiring. I would say. So that's the entry point. That the, the entry the, point. That gate of Shekinah it, is to be in that state. You don't have to be in that state, but it's like almost as a natural consequence, you're going to be in that state. Yira really means fear, also. So that's why I don't like awe. It's yes. too. It's too neutral and positive of a word. Yes. It's missing exactly. seriousness. It's missing any severity. Severe. It's a severe yeah. word. It is a very severe word, and it can and it cannot. It can feel not so good. It can be really difficult. So Yirat Adonai is the is the entry point to that gate of Shekhinah. Is that what it's being? It's saying Shekhinah is Yirat Hashem, right? And it is the the fear of God. Why? Because when you encounter it, you don't know if you're going to get tob or ra. You don't know if you've been good enough or evil or if you've been evil. And you don't know what's going to happen when you try to approach the rest of the divine realm. But if you approach it, it, it doesn't even when you do approach it, aren't you getting to this awareness that everything is one? So how could you possibly have a fear of being tob or ra? If you enter an awareness that everything is one, it's, yeah. it's very paradoxical. The, the, it's very, that's the whole point. Is how, it? Yeah, you're you right. you fearful of good or bad if you're getting to a consciousness awareness. you're right because it's forcing it's forcing you to give up your notions of good and evil and that can be that hard can, that can be scary i think that's part of it especially on the good side yeah. absolutely 100 so let's but see maybe the, being also it's yeah it's everything you were saying before absolutely it's all of the above and so let's no let's see maybe this will give you a little bit more understanding and insight let's see what it says what's the next what's good insight Two gates as one. So maybe this is the saving grace. Maybe when you, on the one end, you can see that within Shekhinah is Chokhmah. Maybe that's the thing that'll save you. You see the Chokhmah through the lens of the of the Shekhinah, but also two gates as one is also talking about Yesod and Shekhinah, the union of male and female. Yesod is often called good, and Shekhinah is the lower wisdom, or in this verse, insight. So here, Shekhinah is, is Sechel, Sechel, and Tov is Yesod. So Sechel Tov is Shekhinah and Yesod. It's the consorting of the masculine and the feminine here, like we've seen so often. And now what's going on? Rabbi Yosef said, Sechel Tov, good insight, is the tree of life. It's Etz Good insight with no evil at all. So this was your question. Your question was, how do we get beyond the, the realm of dualism? The Biyose says, you have to understand about Etz HaChaim. Right. in the Garden of Eden was the thing that was our undoing in a way. But Etz HaChaim, 
was the thing we were supposed to eat from until we ate from Etz Hadat, and then it became a problem so much so God said, get out of the garden because lest you eat from the Etz HaChayim after having eaten from Etz Hadat. Right? So you have to almost jump back in time to before you ate from Etz Hadat to now eat from Etz HaChayim. Right? So the tree of life in the Kabbalah is really identified with Torah on the one hand, but also as Tiferet, we're going to see. Uh, symbolized Tiferet, who is known as written Torah. Here to be Yoseh, contrasts Tiferet, the tree of life, with Shekhinah, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Right? So, uh, good insight with no evil at all. That's what what Tiferet is, or the Etz Hadat. And how does he know? What's Sechel Tov? He interprets it as Shekulotov. Yeh it's Shekulotov. It's entirely good. Which is ironic, because the word good has no more meaning. If it's only good... It's all one. There's no tov vara. You can only know tov with ra. But somehow, some way, that realm of all one is somehow all good. Right. That's the claim of etzahayim of the tiferet, and we don't even we like our words fail us at this point. But let's see. Since no evil abides there, it is good insight without evil. All who actualize it, David's loyal acts of love, supporters of Torah. Right, so David is Shekhinah, and the supporters of Torah, the supporters of Tiferet, Netzach, and Hod, the two legs or general genitals of the Sephirotic body, they transmit love to Shekhinah, known as David, while above they support and strengthen Tiferet. Right, so Netzach and Hod are supporting and strengthening Tiferet above and Shekhinah below. So Netzach and Hod are supporting. It's a Haim above them and it's Hadat below them. They're sending love to Shekhinah and they're supporting it's a Haim. Don't ask me what this means because you got to meditate on this for five days before you understand it. And you got to fast for a few days too. Those supporting Torah, as it were, actualize. All right, so they manifest something. When you support Torah, you are an actualization of Netzach and Hod, right? Um, I think that's what it's trying to say. I'm not sure what actualize it says here. Avdin, um, those who support the study of Torah on earth actualize Avdin. They make or they do their divine archetypes. You become the divine divine archetype uh, when you support Torah. Uh, so please donate to my my class. <laughs> All those studying Torah attain no actualization while they study, while those supporting them do. Isn't that amazing? If you study Torah, you don't actually get actualization. But if you support the people who are learning Torah, then you do. When you're fully a giver, which I don't fully understand that either. Through my this he, power. My, in, in my, in my Hebrew book, in my Zohar book, it yeah. says, Netzah has many meanings in different mm. aspects in the soul. It implies victory, eternity, and orchestration. In Hebrew, it says, Netzachon, and yeah, exactly. Netzach means like forever and ever. Uh-huh. That's the beautiful thing. And Netzach Israel, Loya Shaker Nili in Israel, right? The the Netzach Israel is God, and that is the the everlasting one of Israel. So the Netzach and the Horde, because then the next page it shows Horde is surrender. Uh so so maybe this will help. Now you're making us understand because I didn't know what this meant. But maybe it's the idea of like the infinity of God in time. That's like what Netzach is. And Hod is like surrender and submitting to God. 
and you submit to the infinity of God, that's maybe how you get from Shekhinah, from the Etz Tovara to where they're leading to, which is Etz Chaim of Tiferet. Right, so to put it together, exactly what you said, it says here in the book that the Zohar refers to this complementary relationship at two halves, as two halves of one body, like twins. Basically. Exactly. No, that's that's perfect. And I think you, you need both, right? You need to have the submission. You need right. to, to give up something. And that's what's so scary. But at the same time, it's the recognition of the infinity of God. Right? But so isn't, it, isn't it in reverse? Because if you buy into it and you surrender, shouldn't you surrender first and then buy into it? <laughs> right? We say first we'll do and then we will listen. Uh-huh. Right? So the first thing as Jews that we do is we say, God, you have me at hello. And then from there, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm doing. It doesn't work. And, and, and um, yeah, it doesn't work for everybody. Yeah. That's that's the hard part. All right, so you're saying create your own blueprint and see if it works. What do you mean? No, like you're saying, I would think that give me the instructions and I'll follow it. But it's <laughs> sort of saying like, do what you got to do and then I'll tell you if it's right. But you're, screwed if, but you're screwed if you miss. Yeah, that's the point, is that you, you have to start off doing. You got to start off following God. And then from there, you can say, all right, then I want to understand and learn and da, da, da. But you start off, just do what God wants. Do it on Hashem. Follow right. the Torah, and it'll lead you. Say it again? It's ideal. it's ideal, for sure. So let's see. Uh, through this power, His praise endures forever, and the throne stands fittingly firm. Right? So through the power of the Netzah Hod. That's how That's how Hashem's praise endures forever and His throne stands forever. Why and how? Well, it's through the Netzah and right? Known So Shekhinah, uh, known as both praise and the throne of Tif'irit, is sustained by those who support Torah. Thereby divine union is stimulated. All right, so only with Shekhinah as the throne of God, and sorry, the throne of Tiferet, and with the people supporting that throne, only then can you have Tiferet sitting firm. So I think there's a lot of wisdom in those two concepts of ID. What would we do without you? Netzach being the infinite. No, I'm, I'm just I'm just reading from my uh, from my heebie-jeebie book. <laughs> <laughs> ID, you're you're the MVP. I'm telling you, you like you like the Rashi of the class. We need you. <laughs> Well, we, I promise, we wouldn't understand anything without you. I'm so, just reading from the book, baby. The best idea. I love you. <laughs> I so love that's you and that's hard, right? And when you put them together, that's when you, it's almost like the pathway towards the this etzah this infinite understanding of it's all one and somehow it's all good in that oneness. From the place of dualism where we're currently sitting, of Tawbara from Sheikh but it sort of weaves all together beautifully because, again, the court, Tefera, it's this is gorgeous. It says, Tefera represents the harmonious bl- blending of varying colors and forms, producing a beautiful a work of great beauty. Unbelievable. And there's nothing more beautiful than the experience of Hashem. And that experience only happens through Netzach and Hod, I think, like you're saying, which is full surrender. That's Hod. And Netzach is the understanding of the infinite nature of things. And that's what it means. Indra built a seamless tower. Where did he begin? 
there is no beginning point and there is no ending point. It's all one. And it's all starting everywhere and ending everywhere and beginning everywhere. And there's nowhere that it starts and nowhere that it ends. It's and beautiful that that and all these things that I, that I learned with you in the class and, and my Zohar, you know, digging into Zohar, that it's all so intertwined, interconnected, and like a seamless transition into like euphoria or goal or whatever you want to call it. It's amazing. Uh, I'm so honored to share in this experience with you guys. I really want, before I came, I wanted to tell you, this class means so much to me. And it's such a savior for me during the middle of my week. <laughs> that it, I promise it makes me so happy. But more than that, so much more at peace and so much more inner serenity that I find just by knowing that I'm going to be able to share in this experience experience with you guys it's called spiritual psychotherapy the secret that i didn't tell you is it's therapy for me and i love you guys <laughs> for that. so thank you as always for holding this space i love you very very much id you shine you shine and you, you are the best you take you take us to another planet you're amazing ID, you're like you're like the sun anything i'm shining i'm just the moon i'm just reflecting your life <laughs> All right, I it's, love good. it's a good it's a good combination have, I, a, have a great week guys i'll catch I you have a great one Bye, Mike.